ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then, as we mentioned, we're going to have a look at the books regarding Gharibul Hadith. The books regarding the difficult and complicated words of Hadith and how these books then explained those words and phrases and went through various aspects of that. هذا النوع من التأليف ظهر مبكرا من مطلع القرن الثالث These types of books, they began in the third century, from the beginning of the third century, early on. ونظرا لأنه منذ ظهرت كتب الغريب لم يخل قرن من التأليف فيها. And ever since that time, from the beginning of the third century, when books of this nature began to be written, books clarifying the difficult and complex words of hadith, etc., and complications within hadith, ever since they first began to be written at the beginning of the third century, then practically every century onwards from there, there were some books or another being written upon this field. كَمَا يُلَاحَظُ ذَلِكَ فِي وَفَيَاتِ مُؤَلِّفِيهَا وَالتَّأْلِيفِ فِيهَا لَمْ يَزَلْ يَمُّ وَيَتَطَوَّرْ وَلَمْ يَبْلُغْ نُضُوجَهُ إِلَّا بَعْدَ الْقَرْنِ الْخَامِسَ الْهِجْرِ So it began in the third century, carried on for the next century, and really only got to the real peak in these types of books into the 5th century. لِذَلِكَ كُلِّهِ أَخَّرْتُ الْكَلَامِ عَنْهَا إِلَى هَذَا الْمَوْضِعِ So we've been going through the books chronologically, or uh, the uh, books that were written in terms of the chronological order in history, the books of the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries. We're talking about these books now in the 5th century, even though they began to be written in the 3rd century. Because it was only at the time of the 5th century when these kinds of books really came into fruition in the way that they were written and how they were done and the materials gathered within them. They came to a peak in the 5th century. Hence, these books have been mentioned here in the chronological order in the 5th century. So what are they exactly? Al-Murad bi-Kutub al-Gharib, the intent behind these types of books, the books regarding the strange or ambiguous or complicated words of hadith, al-lati tajma'u al-kalimat al-gharibah aw al-ghamidah, المعنى سواء من القرآن أو من الحديث لتفسيرها وشرح المشكل من معانيها. So these kinds of books they focused on 
highlighting words from the Quran even and from hadith in the sunnah that are complicated words, complex in their meaning, difficult to understand the meanings behind these words and what the intention behind that word is here and there. Those kinds of deep words, complicated words, complex to understand, these books picked them all out and clarified and explained them. So of course there are narrations, a hadith, where within that hadith there will be a word or two which is extremely difficult to understand. What is meant by that word in this hadith? And what is the, the, the meaning and the intention behind this word? There are complicated words and there are complexities of the language which do make it difficult to understand sometimes. So these books, their aim was to pick out those real difficult parts and explain them from the words of the Qur'an even and words and phrases of hadith too. Al-Khattabi, one of the scholars of the past, said, Al-Gharibu min al-Kalam, innama huwa al-Ghamid, al-Ba'id min al-Fahm. The Gharib, the, the strange or the difficult or the ambiguous words, are those that are somewhat murky, as we might say, meaning they are difficult to pinpoint. What is exactly meant by this word? Difficult to pinpoint the meanings and the intents behind certain words. And that they are distanced from comprehension. They are difficult to understand and comprehend. Just like the word غريب, linguistically in Arabic means somebody who is a stranger. Stranger, away from his homeland. So these are the words that are strange, not really easy to understand and work out and pinpoint. So these books focused on those types of words and clarified and explained them. And these types of difficulties in words and understanding are of two types. One, أَحَدِهِمَا أَنْ يُرَادَ بِهِ بَعِيدُ الْمَعْنَى غَامِضُهُ لَا يَتَنَاوَلُهُ الْفَهْمِ إِلَّا عَنْ بُعِدْ وَمُعَانَاتِ فِكْرِ One type is where words are used and their meaning is something that is quite distanced from the normal understanding a person would have. You have a word, you have a normal understanding of that word. But sometimes that word may be used in a hadith and the intention is something actually quite distant from the normal meaning of the word. So you need to know that because if you interpret it and read it and understand it upon the normal meaning of that word, you would be incorrect. The normal general meaning of the word isn't what is intended there, it is something quite distanced from the norm. So that's one type of word that they would pick out and explain so you understood. That here it doesn't just mean the normal kind of thing you might understand. Here it's another meaning, 
which wouldn't automatically come to you very easily. So they are explained. The second type, الوجه الآخر أن يراد به كلام من بعدت به الدار ونأى به المحل من شواذ قبائل العرب فإذا وقعت إلينا الكلمة من لغاتهم استغربناها وإنما هو كلام القوم وبيانهم وعلى هذا ما جاء عن بعضهم نعم The other point is the language of the Arabs, the Arabic language, of course it was known, of course it was understood, but when there were tribes that lived separated and distanced, they may have used certain terms, certain words, that were not known in the general lingo, as we say, of the people. Words that are unusual, used by people perhaps living in a nomadic lifestyle, uh, living distanced and away from the urban lifestyle, maybe those kinds of far-out tribes. They may have certain words, certain terms that they use, which are not known to the everyday person in their language. So some of these words that are picked out for explanation are those types, where there may be words that were used by the tribes, but they were not commonplace amongst others. So then they are picked out and explained, and their meanings are highlighted. وَقَالَ الْحَافِظِ ابْنُ الصَّلَاحِ غريب الحديث هو عبارة عما وقع في متون الأحاديث من الألفاظ الغامضة البعيدة من الفهم لقلة استعمالها لقلة استعمالها ابن الصلاح he said the غريب الحديث these strange words that are explained in these books they are basically those words that are very ambiguous, difficult to pinpoint and understand, distanced from the meaning or from the understanding of a person because of their extremely limited usage. There may be certain words that are perfectly good words in that language, perfectly good words from that language. But they are used so little, so rare is their usage, that people simply don't understand them and don't know them. Even though they are perfectly legitimate words from that language, but not everybody has that level of understanding and that vastness in language. If words are barely used and then suddenly you hear it for the first time, you won't know what it means. So that is something they focused on. That is something you will find in these books. Words in hadith, which are words in the Arabic language that are so rarely used, you don't understand what it means when you see it. So they were explained in these books. Because remember too, these books weren't written as dictionaries for non-Arabs. These books were written to explain these words to the people who understand the language in the first place. They weren't written as dictionaries for non-Arabs. These were written as books for the ones who understand Arabic to understand these difficulties from Arabic. 
So, there may be words that are very rare in usage that many people may not know. So, they clarified that type of thing too. Also, Al-Hakim, Abu Abdullah Al-Hakim, he mentioned, Ma'rifatu al-alfaz al-gharibah fil-mutun. As one of the, the sections and the sciences within hadith, he mentioned it is to understand and have a knowledge of those strange words in the texts of the hadith. وَهَذَا عِلْمٌ قَدْ تَكَلَّمَ فِيهِ جَمَاعًا مِنْ أَتْبَاعِ التَّابِعِينَ And he says this is a type of science, a knowledge, that a group from amongst the third generation, the Atba' At-Tabi'een, a group from amongst the third generation spoke about this, the likes of Malik, Al-Thawri, Shu'ba, and those who came after them. And the first one who wrote in this field, wrote a book on this topic, was another Ibn Shumayl. ثُمَّ صَنَّفَ فِيهِ أَبُ عُبَيْدَ الْقَاسِمْ إِبْنُ سَلَّامُ كِتَابَهُ الْكَبِيرِ Then after that, Abu Ubaid al-Qasim ibn Salam. Then he said, وَقَدْ صَنَّفَ الْغَرِيبِ Now we're going to get to the book of uh, Abu Ubaid al-Qasim ibn Salam shortly. He says, وَقَدْ صَنَّفَ الْغَرِيبِ بَعْدَ أَبِي عُبَيْدِ جَمَاعًا After Abu Ubaid, Abu Ubaid al-Qasim, there were a number of other scholars who wrote books in this topic, uh, or who had works in this topic. The likes of Ali ibn al-Madini, Ibrahim ibn Ishaq al-Harbi, Muhammad ibn Muslim ibn Qutaybah, and Al-Hafiz Al-Suyuti said, وَقَدْ أَكْثَرَ الْعُلَمَاءَ التَّصْنِيفِ فِيهِ The scholars, they wrote a lot in this topic. Because obviously it's important. Words in hadith, you misinterpret them, you misunderstand them, changes the whole meaning of that narration perhaps. So it was important to make sure these uh, one-off words here and there are properly clarified. So no misunderstanding and no misguidance occurs to the people as a consequence. So the scholars gave importance to writing a lot of books in this field. قيل أول من صنفه صنفه النظر ثم الأصمعي وكتبهم صغيرة قليلة النظر that we mentioned الأصمعي that they were the first ones to write in this field but their books were quite limited. وَأَلَّفَ بَعْدَهُمْ أَبُوْ عُبَيْدَ الْقَاسِمِ إِبْنِ سَلَّامِ He wrote then afterwards a famous book in this topic, غَرِيبُ الْحَدِيثِ Known as the غَرِيبُ الْحَدِيثِ of Abu Ubaid al-Qasim ibn Salam, who died in 224 Hijri. And there are others like we mentioned, a few examples of those, you have the Gharib al-Hadith of 
Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Muslim ibn Qutaybah died in 276 Hijri. You also have Gharib al-Hadith of Abu Ishaq Ibrahim ibn Ishaq al-Harbi died in 285 Hijri. You have the one of al-Khattabi uh, Abu Sulaiman Hamad al-Khattabi which is printed in three volumes Gharib al-Hadith he died in 388 Hijri uh, and there's a few other examples Al-Fa'iq fi Gharib al-Hadith of Abu al-Qasim Jarullah Mahmud ibn Umar Azamakhshari who died in 538 Hijri uh, Ibn al-Jawzi has a book also of Gharib al-Hadith he died in 597 Hijri of course and there is the famous An-Nihaya An-Nihaya fi Gharib al-Hadith of Majduddin al-Mubarak ibn Muhammad al-Jazari al-Ma'roof ibn al-Athir ibn al-Athir his book An-Nihaya fi Gharib al-Hadith and that's uh, available and printed so if we now have a look at an example, and in fact the example that we'll look at is this one. An-Nihaya fi gharib al-Hadith of Ibn al-Athir. That is one famous example. And that is something which is often used. And from the famous ones, his is obviously later. 606 Hijri ibn al-Athir died. Whereas the other example of Gharib al-Hadith of Abu Ubaid, he died in 224 Hijri. So his book was much earlier on. Much earlier on. Whereas the book of Ibn al-Athir was much later in comparison. So initially then, if we look at, let's begin with the earlier one, Abu Ubaid. Abu Ubaid al-Qasim ibn Salam ibn Abdullah al-Hafiz al-Imam al-Mujtahid. He was born in the year 156 Hijri and died in Mecca in 224 Hijri. And the subject matter of his book is to explain the strange and complicated words in Hadith that are not so easy to understand otherwise. That was his objective in his book. So what did he do? Or how did he do it? رَتَّبَ كِتَابَهُ عَلَى الْمَسَانِيدِ He organized his book upon those chains of narration per narrator. We spoke before regarding the masanid. وَسَاقَ الْأَحَدِيثِ بِأَسَانِيدِهِ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And he narrated those narrations with the full chains from himself up to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. ثُمَّ عَقَبَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ حَدِيثِ بِشَرْحِ غَرِيبِهِ مُوَضِّحًا الْمَعْنَى مَعَ الْإِسْتِشْهَادِ لِمَا فَسَّرَهَا بِهِ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ وَالْحَدِيثِ وَمِنْ كَلَامِ الْعَرَبِ وَشَعْرِهِمْ Then, after each narration, he's mentioned it with his chain of narration, he then explains the complicated words in those narrations. 
using evidences from the Qur'an, ayat, which would highlight the meaning of this word, using other hadith in explaining what this word here would mean, and using the kalam of the Arab, the speech of the Arabs and their poetry. It was known that they were strong in their Arabic, the strength of their Arabic was known. And so he used that as well as examples of, look how the Arabs understand this, and what they've mentioned about this. This is the meaning here, in line with what is in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah, in other narrations perhaps too. الإمام الخطاب said بعد أن ذكر كتب الغريب ثم إنه ليس لواحد من هذه الكتب التي ذكرناها أن يكون شيء منها على منهاج كتاب أبي عبيد في بيان الله وصحة المعنى ووجودة وجودة الاستنباط وكثرة الفقه الخطاب said none of these other books that we've mentioned are comparable to the book of Abu Ubaid in his methodology, in clarifying the words, and giving the true meanings of something, and the quality of his derivations, and the ample amount of fiqh that he mentions therein. None of the other books, he said, are comparable to the book of Abu Ubaid. Al-Qasim. عَلَى الرَّغْمِ مِنْ جَوْدَةِ كِتَابِ أَبِي عُبَيْدِ وَسَعَتْ مَعْلُمَاتِهِ وَكَثْرَتْ فَوَائِدِهِ إلا أن في الوقوف على الفائدة منه عصر 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 ومشقة الوقوف على الفائدة منه عصر ومشقة نظرا لترتيبه على المسانيد وفي المسانيد ما فيها من صعوبة الوقوف على الحديث فيها even though the quality of his book and the details of the explanation in the words that he picks out and how he gives the full details of those words and the meanings of them, the quality of all of that, unrivaled compared to some, uh, as some scholars have mentioned. Despite that, one drawback that could potentially be highlighted is that because the book is based upon masanid, and not upon the easier method of chapters of fiqh, then it's sometimes difficult to navigate. Because when you have them on the chapters of fiqh, you have the chapter of prayer, the chapter of uh, zakat, the chapter of hajj, the chapter of song. Your hadith, you see what the hadith is about, you can go straight into the chapter and find it. Whereas now like this, it's, all much more mixed up because it's in the masanid. So you have the, the musnad of a particular companion and all of his narrations. Could be some of them about prayer, some of them about hajj, some of them about zakat, some of them about this, that, the other, all there. Then the next one, again, a full mixture. Then the next one, again, a full mixture. That's the way it is with the masanid. So because of that, sometimes it can be difficult to navigate and to find what you're looking for compared to the simpler style of the chapters of fiqh. That could potentially be mentioned. But despite that, what is the status and the level of the book of Abu Ubaid? He himself said, كُنْتُ فِي تَصْنِيفِ هَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةً He spent 40 years writing the book. He spent 40 years writing the book. 
وربما استفيد الفائده من افواه الرجال فاضعوها في الكتاب he said sometimes i might benefit something from the speech of a man meaning from the the speech of the arabs that he would come across an understanding of a particular word from the language of the arabs and the speech of the arabs it would become clear to him something he said sometimes i may benefit like that and then i would go back and uh, edit the book and add the benefits etc فَأَبِيتُ سَاهِرًا فَرَحًا مِنِّي بِتِلْكَ الْفَائِدَةِ And he said sometimes when I, when, like you say now in these days in the language, the light bulb moment, he said sometimes when I found this benefit and I realized how it matches in with a particular word in a hadith, and it clicks that this is how it means and this is what it is. When he's heard it from the Arabs or from their poetry or something, he said when that used to happen, sometimes I would stay up all night, I'd end up staying up from joy, that I wouldn't fall asleep then, I would stay up the whole night, I would end up being awake from joy, of having found that benefit, and being able to clarify the meaning of that narration and that word. أَخْرَجَ الْحَاكِمْ بِإِسْنَادِهِ فِي الْمَعْرِفَةِ إِلَى هِلَالِ بْنِ الْعَلَاءِ الرَّقِّ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ بِأَرْبَعَةِ Hilal ibn al-Ala al-Raqqi, he mentioned that Allah has bestowed upon this ummah with four. Four people. Allah bestowed upon this ummah four people that were of the greatest of benefit. Al-Imam Shafi'i, in terms of the fiqh of the ahadith. And Abu Ubaid, in terms of explaining those difficult and strange words in the hadith. And Yahya ibn Ma'in for defending the sunnah and stripping away all of the lies within it. For purifying the authentic narrations, clarifying that and stripping away the fabrications and the, the, the false narrations and chains of narrations and narrators. He was known to be somebody who had that precision in identifying the authentic narrations from the non-authentic narrations. And Ahmed ibn Hanbal for having remained firm at the time of the trial that occurred during his time when they all began to say the Qur'an is created. Yet he remained firm and did not fall under that banner of those rulers at that time even, who were killing people, imprisoning people, if they refused to believe this false aqidah that the Qur'an is created. Uh, the second book we'll have a quick look at as well now, is the one at the end of that timeline. The book of Ibn al-Athir, An-Nihayah fi Gharib al-Hadith. Of Ibn al-Athir. The author, Majduddin Abu Sa'adat al-Mubarak ibn Muhammad al-Jazari, famously known as Ibn al-Athir, and he has many books as well. Ibn al-Athir has many books as well that he's written. And this is one of them, An-Nihayah fi Gharib al-Hadith wal-Athar. What did he do in his book then? How did he write it? How did he put it together? رَتَّبَهُ عَلَى حُرُوفِ الْمُعْجَمِ 
ترتيبا دقيقا معتبرا أصل الكلمة الثلاثي وقد حوى كتابه علما غزيرا ويعتبر أجمع كتاب في غريب الحديث والأثر His book is considered as the most comprehensive with the most amount of explanation and words and detail. It's considered as the most comprehensive. And Nihaya of Ibn al-Athir. He organized it upon alphabetical letters. Upon the alphabetical order of those words of those narrations in the three-letter original words on the alphabet. So you're looking for a word upon the alphabet. And, and it includes a huge array and a vast amount of knowledge within that book in explanation. And that's why it is considered as the most comprehensive book in that field. The author Ibn al-Athir himself said, لَمَّا وَقَفْتُ عَلَى كِتَابِهِ يعني أبا موسى المديني الذي جعله مكملا لكتاب الهروي ومتمما له وهو في غاية من الحسن والكمال وكان الإنسان إذا أراد كلمة غريبة يحتاج إلى أن يتطلبها أو يتطلبها في أحد الكتابين فإن وجدها فيه وإلا طلبها من الكتاب الآخر وهما كتابان كبيران ذوى مجلدات عدة ولا خفاء بما في ذلك من الكلفة فرأيت أن أجمع ما فيها من غريب الحديث مجردا من غريب القرآن إلى أن قال وجعلت على ما فيه من كتاب الهرويها بالحمرة وعلى ما فيه من كتاب أبي موسى سينا وما أضفته من غيرهما مهملا بغير علامة ليتميز ما فيهما على ما ليس فيهما وجميع ما في هذا الكتاب من غريب الحديث والآثار ينقسم إلى قسمين He says Ibn al-Athir who was much later on now like we said compared to the others Ibn al-Athir who died in 606 Hijri. He says, I had a look at the previous books. I had a look at the previous books, referring to the book of Abu Musa al-Madini, who basically wrote his as a completion or an add-on to the book of al-Harawi. He said, I examined them, and obviously put together those two big original books are big. If somebody wants to look for something, you look in one of them, you don't find it, you go to the other one. It's a lengthy process. So he said, I decided to put them together. Put one comprehensive book together. And he says that whichever sections are in the book of Al-Harawi, he puts a ha in red next to it. And whatever was in the book of Abu Musa, a seen next to it. And anything which was not in either of their books, then nothing to highlight that this was not taken from either of theirs. That's something the scholars used to do when they wrote their books. To highlight in them with annotations, with letters, to indicate a reference or a source for a certain material. Where it's come from. 
So he said in his book, what came from those earlier books, he referenced it with the letter Sin or the letter Ha to indicate where it's coming from. And anything which was extra from him, then nothing was added on and therefore you would know this was the extra. So in doing that then he compiled from those previous books and made this much larger, more comprehensive compilation. Then he explains also the method of, uh, or the, the, the style of the narrations and how they are categorized, and those that are known and those that are not. But suffice to say, as Imam al-Suyuti said, وَهُوَ أَحْسَنُ كُتُبِ الْغَرِيبِ وَأَجْمَعُهَا وَأَشْهَرُهَا وَأَكْثَرُهَا تَدَاوُلًا That the book of Ibn al-Athir, it is the best book in terms of those gharib words of hadith, in trying to identify the meanings of those complicated or ambiguous words. And it is the most comprehensive, and it is the most famous, and it is the one that is most spread amongst the people and used amongst the people. So that is an-nihayah of Ibn al-Athir. Again, inshallah ta'ala, if I get an opportunity, I'll do a small video on it and post it regarding the book and a small background on the book and a few pages of it so everybody can see, inshallah. Then after that, it moves on to other types of books that were also written, uh, various other different categories of books that were also done. Some of these though, we are going to skip. Some of them we are going to miss. Um, and possibly the next section that we cover from here. is going to be... The final section. Kutub al-Jawami'ah. This really now brings us to the conclusion. The Kutub al-Jawami'ah. That's the one that we'll mention as our conclusion. Kutub al-Jawami'ah. Basically meaning the comprehensive books. So far we've been talking about books that were written in particular fields. All of these different books throughout the centuries in specific fields. Then there are these books known as the comprehensive books. By their very title, indicating that they're not upon a particular field. They are much broader in their topic, inclusive of a lot more on a broader spectrum. And yuradu bihi fi stalah al-muhaddithin In terms of what the scholars have mentioned in the definition of these types of books Ma yujadu fihi jami'u aqsam al-hadith Wherein you find all of the different types of hadith Ay annahu yadhum ahadith al-aqaid Wa ahadith al-ahkam وَأَحَدِيثَ الرَّقَائِقِ 
وأحاديث الآداب والأحاديث المتعلقة بالتفسير والأحاديث المتعلقة بالتاريخ والصير وأحاديث الفتن والملاحم وأحاديث المناقب والفضائل Books that have within them hadith but not on a particular field not even on the field of fiqh where you have lots of different hadith but they're all on the field of fiqh prayer, zakat, hajj, not even that but broader than that they would compile within them hadith about aqidah hadith about fiqh, rulings hadith about heart softeners narrations about iman and increasing iman and the heart and softening the heart narrations of that nature a hadith about mannerisms and etiquettes a hadith about tafsir of the Quran a hadith on history and seerah a hadith about the trials and the tribulations that will occur a hadith about the virtues of certain things and people all types of the hadith a variety of narrations were put together in these types of books. أَمَّا الْمُرَادُ هُنَا فَهُوَ تِلْكَ الْكُتُبِ الَّتِي قَصَدَ مُصَنِّفُوهَا جَمْعَ الْحَدِيثَ النَّبَوِيَّةَ فِيهَا مُطْلَقًا So there are some books where scholars basically just put into them a whole compilation of hadith. And their purpose was just to put in there a whole compilation of those various narrations you have, for example, Al-Jami' Al-Kabir, and also As-Saghir of As-Suyuti, or Jam'a Hadith Kutub Muhassasa. Or sometimes, so that is an example of just broadly putting together narrations of different topics. Sometimes though, they would put together narrations, but from specific books. So they would be still broad, but broad narrations and topics from specific sources though. Like for example, Jami' al-Usul of Ibn al-Athir. Lil-Kutub al-Sitta wa Jami' al-Masanid li-Ibn al-Athir lil-Kutub al-Ashara. He has one book where he compiles narrations from the six famous books. Al-Bukhari, Muslim, Tirmidhi, Abu Dawud, Nasai, Ibn-Najah. He has a book where he compiles from those six so there's a selection of a hadith from those six. He has another one where it's from Jami'ul uh, Masanid, as the other one is known as, from the ten books. The six plus the other four. The question is, of course, what are the other four? And that can be the homework for this week. To try and find out which ones exactly. I'm just guessing. Guessing you can roughly maybe get down to the few which they might be. But let's see for the homework if somebody can find out Jami'ul Masanid of Ibn al Athir, which ten books are being referenced, or what is the intent of the ten in that book? A few examples then. A few examples of these books. There's some that we've just mentioned anyway. You have others like Bahr al-Asanid fi Sahih al-Masanid of Abu Muhammad Ahmed al-Samarqandi died in 491 Hijri. You also have for example Jami' al-Usul we just stated that now of Ibn al-Athir Jami' al-Masanid 
Jami'ul Masanid, there's that one which is by Ibn Kathir. That one is by Ibn Kathir, in fact, not Ibn Al-Athir. The first one is by Ibn Al-Athir of the six books. What we've just mentioned now about the ten books, finding out what the ten books are, that one is the book of Ibn Kathir. Correct that in your notes. The book Al-Jami' or Jami'ul Masanid is of Ibn Kathir. So what are the ten that are intended in the book of Ibn Kathir? The other one, Jami'ul Rasul from the six books is of Ibn Al-Athir. And there's a, a selection of some other examples as well, but you have those there. Um, and then from the later times as well, Al-Imam Al-Suyuti had some books on this field of a compilation. In conclusion, what do we say here? فَمِنْ أَهَمْ مَا خَرَجْتُ بِهِ مِنَ النَّتَائِجِ أَوَّلًا التَّفْرِيقِ بَيْنَ التَّدْوِينَ الَّذِي يَعْنِي تَقْيِيدَ الْمُتَفَرِّقِ وَجَمْعِ الْمُتَشَتَّتِ فِي دِيوَانِ وَبَيْنَ التَّصْنِيفَ الَّذِي هُوَ تَصْنِيفُ الْكُتُبِ مُرَتَّبَةَ عَلَى الْفُصُولِ وَالْأَبْوَابِ One of the main things, these are the conclusions now from the whole book. One of the main conclusions is that there used to be writings and works done from the very first century. But there is a difference between the works that were done initially, the tadween at that time, compared to the works that were done later. The main difference being that the original works of that time in the early first, second century, they were more random. A hadith written down and narrations written down, they weren't organized as books as such. Whereas later on then, in the later centuries as we go along, they began to write them properly, organized on chapters and books, and easily workable and usable and to, to navigate through them. Whereas in the early stages, it was much more just about compilation, writing together papers, ahadith, narrations. But it was all there, recorded and written down. And that was the key. These books weren't just something that came about in the second and third century. And for a century or two centuries, none of this knowledge was written down. It's not like that. It was written down. But it was on papers and parchments and here and there. Then it was organized and put together. That knowledge that was already written down from the beginning. Also we established that the writing down of hadith began during the time of the Prophet ﷺ himself. And those narrations about the disliking of it, we explained. Some of them may be because they didn't want to rely on those narrations and their memory becomes weak. Some of them because they didn't want to uh, mix up between the Qur'an and hadith. But the conclusion obviously was, there is no real outright prohibition for writing. They used to write and they wrote down narrations from that early time. Uh, also, what we can deduce is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they are at the same level in terms of the evidence. We use the Qur'an as an evidence, we use the Sunnah, the authentic Sunnah, as an evidence too. Also what we can establish from this is that the scholars throughout the centuries have put in a huge amount of work in preservation of the sunnah. Imagine some of these scholars, 40 years on the book, 40 years of your life and you're carrying on writing, writing, editing, writing, editing. 
Ibn al-Jawzi we spoke about last week. He had multiple books that he wrote. So many in his lifetime, writing, writing, writing. And it's not like these books were being written for financial reward. It's not like you're going to get a publishing contract. They were writing these books for the sake of Allah, knowledge for the ummah. Writing and writing and putting their time and days and months and years into that. That's real striving and dedication and sacrifice for the religion. So the scholars, they did this throughout the centuries. And the other key point that we have to take note of from all of this, the other key point is that we understand now that the narrations and a hadith were written down on papers, etc. from the very beginning. When these individuals come along now and say that these ahadith that you're using cannot be relied upon, cannot be used, because those narrators are unreliable, they're untrustworthy, they are basically doing that in order to be able to reject the sunnah. So now we know we have books of the biographies of the narrators, we can determine who the trustworthy ones were and who the ones who weren't were. We also know that these books that were written by them, or by the scholars in the 2nd, 3rd century, it wasn't something brand new that they just now wrote down and it was only by memory being reported before that. It was on papers and documented before that. The sunnah has been preserved from the beginning, from the time of the Prophet wasallam. To our time now. And it will be maintained. And that Ta'ifa al-Mansura will remain up until the day of judgment. Up until the hour is established. So that brings us to the end of this overview of this book. Tadween al-Sunnah al-Nabawiyyah. The last 20-30 sessions. Allah alam how many it's been. Has been a brief overview of the centuries and what happened in each century. So you can go over that now, and you can work through chronologically and learn what happened in the first century, what happened in the second century, what books and works were done in the third century, fourth century. We've done through it all now. So that brings us to the end of that. Alhamdulillah. And inshallah ta'ala, uh, we'll begin some new course then. Uh, after this, some new book that will begin, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, and that's going to be uh, more than likely in two weeks' time now. Because next week there is a planned event in Manchester for one day. Sunday it's going to be. So next week we'll leave this off. And in two weeks we'll begin with the new book. A new course, a new book in two weeks' time, inshallah ta'ala. So I have no idea what that's going to be yet. If anybody has any suggestions or there is any particular topic you want to study, any particular topic that you think would be suitable and you would like to study, then you're welcome to put those suggestions forward. Usul al-fiqh, the problem is that those kinds of books, they are... They're not general books. Those books are taught in more like private gatherings. They're not really taught at a public level and then put out and because they are complicated and it requires a certain level of background before you can do them. And we haven't done the background here.
So it's not possible really to do usul al-fiqh and mustalah al-hadith. That really is going to be more private gatherings. But something more general for the open, general benefit for everybody, we need something more like that, I think, inshallah. Salah, hmm? we did it here. Didn't we do it once? We did once before the full salah. The Prophet's prayer described. Some of you may not have attended it, but we did the Prophet's prayer described. The full thing. That's a possibility. So we have one option there. The Adhkar. Adhkar is a possibility. That is one possible option. Doing the Adhkar, the different du'as that you're supposed to read in the morning and the evening. Uh, and uh, explaining what they mean, etc. That is a possibility. I've done that once before. That course once before about the Afkar in a different place. That is possible we could do. There's a good book about that. Explains all the different du'as that you read in the morning, after the prayers, in the evening. And it explains all of those different du'as. Anything else? Bulug al-Maram, we ever done it here? No, no, no. Only Kitab al-Siyam. The chapter of Hajj. Chapter of Hajj of Bulugh al-Maram. So Bulugh al-Maram is a possibility. That's a book of fiqh, going through the chapter of Hajj. Anything else? Zakat. So that would be Bulugh al-Maram as well, but Zakat, Hajj, uh, Zakat. Wasatiya, it's, uh, you're too late, it's been taken. Wasatiya, we're going to start that in Sheffield, inshallah. And plus, Wasatiya, it's very similar to Tahawiyya. Very similar. So, if you revise over Tahawiyya, that covers you for now. Tafsir. Tafsir, we ever done Tafsir here? Tafsir is a possibility then. Tafsir. Anything else? That's Bulugh al-Maram, same kind of thing. So, a hadith on good virtues and actions. Targheeb and Targheeb kind of ones. Al-Adab al-Mufrid or something. Alright. Anything else? Any other suggestions you want to put forward? We're not done that here? Usul al-Sunnah of Imam Ahmed? We're not done that here. Usul al-Sunnah of Imam Ahmed. Anything else? All your, all your titles are going into the hat. <laughs> Something's going to be drawn out for two weeks' time, inshallah. Anything else? No, no, you can't do the whole, uh, the whole Quran. We'll be here for the next 20, 30 years. <laughs> That's not even a joke. The Juz Amma, if you do just Juz Amma, if you do Tafsir, we'll do Juz Amma, obviously. That's the one that you have to do then. Juz Amma will take about six months. One lesson a week every Sunday, about six months. Because some of the surahs are small, you do them in one lesson. But an-nazi'at and some of the longer ones, you need like three lectures for each one. You end up with maybe 30 lectures or something, six months or whatever it takes. Uh, we've got Brother Johnny, he's named Yahya, he's become Muslim today. So we okay. ask what he wants to learn. Become Muslim today, come first time. Uh-huh. So some basic book like that maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, conditions of uh, Shahada. Conditions of Shahada. 
What about, you know, the books like Kitab al-Tawheed, like Surah Thalath, if we do a detailed study, for example, the ayat, the text used? Kitab al-Tawheed, we did it here once as well. Before some of the brothers did it here, Kitab al-Tawheed. Three principles? we never done three principles here. Three principles, never done it here. All right. That's a, a good list there. Anything else? The important lessons one. Important lessons, the first half of it is Tafsir Juz Amma. And then the second half, it's simplified fiqh. It is possible, the important lessons. We've done that once before in Sheffield. Alright, so we'll have a look at all of these kind of things. We'll, we'll discuss and uh, we'll advertise it in the next few days. The tweets and everything will go out so you can be prepared. You can go and try and get the English version of the book, whatever we're going to do. So we'll announce it well in advance, at least a week, 10 days in advance. We'll announce it this week now. This week in the next few days, we'll announce what it's going to be. We'll follow the Twitter account, As-Sabil, and uh, your WhatsApp groups and things as well. And then whatever we decide on, then you can try and go get the book in advance from Al-Basira Bookshop in Bradford or order it from Salafi Bookstore online. So we'll be prepared for that next class, inshallah. Alright, so conclude today. Two weeks time we'll carry on then. Same time roughly, 7.15 p.m. Inshallah. Huh? The birth date. Let's have a look. His birth date isn't here. We'll have to go back to the books of biographies to check his birth date. Never mentioned it here. If the word is actually explained within the hadith, would they do an explanation, for example, the word mukhis, for example, when the person asks what that word means, but then the person explains it the same hadith? So would they explain that as well? No, not necessarily then. Because then, clearly... The, the very point of the hadith is explaining that word within it. So there's no gharibness left on it. It's clear now exactly the intent in the hadith itself. Hmm. Do you have like an example of where a word like that is used and hadith just for example? A, a word is used and? Like the hadith with the words, the Greek words in it. That would uh, well, uh, you could maybe use the example of the, the Isha prayer, the Atama. That was an example where the Prophet said to them, don't let the Bedouins overtake you with the word Atama. It's actually Isha. Atama. If I said, you go pray your Atama prayer, nobody knows that. We say Isha. So, there's examples like that. But if you go into this book now, you'll find hundreds of examples. Right. Start is, uh, Ibn Athir, the author of uh, As-Sabil, he mentions that the Prophet said, don't let the Bedouins overtake you with the word Atama. Of what book? As-Sabil, the lines of the forest. Usdul Ghaba. Yeah. Usdul Ghaba, the plural, the lions of the forest, not just Asadul Ghaba. Usdul Ghaba, yeah. That's a book on the biographies of the companions. Oh, so we'll carry in two weeks' time then, inshallah.